Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. If you'd like to join in scripture this morning as we prepare to look at God's word, you could turn to Daniel chapter 5 this morning. We're in this third week of our series looking at what it means for us to live in culture and for us to affect culture. We, we began talking about, in the first week, we began talking about this idea that we are not at war with the culture, that we cannot think that way and we cannot live that way. We are the culture. We are a part of the culture of the world around us. And so we're not at war with what's going on. We're, we're a part of it. We need to learn and to understand how to affect the culture. We don't need to, to be at war and be at odds and somehow see the world as us versus them. We need to be able to understand and see the world in a way that allows us to shape what's going on and to give us some guideposts for how to live in culture and change culture. Um, we've been using the book of Daniel as a bit of a guide for us because if you remember, if you were here with us a few weeks ago when we began this series, and if not, here's a little bit of a crash course, but Judah had been conquered by the Babylonians. They were the, the big empire of the day, and they had come, and they had captured Judah. And one of the things that they did as the Babylonians, they would take people from where they were and transplant them and, and move them around. And there was this, this, this group of, of people from Judah that the Babylonians took back with them to Babylon. And Daniel was one of these guys. And, and we read in scripture that they took them because they were, they were wise and they were strong. They were sort of like the best of the best people. And so quite literally what we have here is someone picked up from culture, picked up from a culture, from, from living in their home, in the culture they knew, picked up and literally dropped into a different culture. Another culture that they don't know and, and they don't understand. And Daniel and, and those around him, they've been given the task of living inside of culture, but not, it not being their culture, it being a different culture, it being a culture that, that they need to shape and change if they want to see God work inside the culture. And as Christians living inside the world today, we're tasked with doing that very same thing. Living inside of a culture that, that may not look like what we want it to look like or may not be what we think it should be. And we're, we're tasked with that same kind of thing. But if Daniel had just simply moved to Babylon and, and just went to war with the Babylonian culture, his story would turn out very different. And it's actually a healthy exercise for, for us to consider that, that what, we've, or what, what we have been doing in preparing our hearts to resist evil and influence others in our culture. When our culture's attitude towards the gospel isn't working as well as we'd like, the, the percentage of people that if, if you do a survey of, of just the general population of, of Airdrie or of Alberta or of Canada, the percentage of people that would check off not affiliated in a faith survey keeps growing. It keeps going up. It keeps becoming more 
and more. That percentage is only rising. And, and the place of moral acceptability keeps moving down. And if you would agree with that statement, if you would say, yeah, that seems reflective of what I know to be true, then the next logical question we need to ask ourselves, ask ourselves is why? And we need to know and understand that a big answer to that question is the answer to this question. What are we doing wrong? That it's sometimes easy to blame culture. It's easy to be like, they don't want to hear it. They don't care. They, it doesn't. But we have been tasked with going into all the world and preaching the gospel. And so if they're not hearing it, you can't, you know, for the, for the, the teachers that are here, you can't just blame the student. You can't, well, I told them and they didn't want to hear it. It's that, that our job is to not just do a ritual preaching of the gospel, but, but we need to ask the question, what, what are we doing wrong? Why is our salt and our light not affecting those around us like it used to? And then, is there anything we can do to fix that? That, you know, I, I will so often hear people lament, and, and there, there's, there's a truth to this, but I think sometimes we point the lens the wrong way. And they will say, you know, Canada used to be a Christian nation. And it's true that, that there, was, you know, there, was, there was Christian values, and, and maybe some of those are slipping away. But so often, then we blame the people who weren't the Christians. We say, they don't hold to our values. They don't hold to our morality. Yeah, because they're not us. And so we need to understand, if we want to change culture, we can't blame culture for not being us. We've been called to go into culture and change culture to be like our Savior. And the answer to this question, these, these questions for us, is, the answer to these questions is for us to, to come to a newer and better understanding of what it means for us to live inside of culture and work to affect and change culture for Jesus. Finding how we can balance the truth of the standards in God's word with the reality of his loving acceptance and life-changing grace. And figuring out the balance between these two things isn't easy. It almost always will stretch us in both directions beyond our comfort zone. Often the tension between standing firm and, and loving others can feel like it paralyzes us. We want to demonstrate the love of God to others, to serve them in need, and to share the good news of the gospel with those who are apart from God. But we also don't want to embrace the, the seeming immorality that often seems to, to cause and emerge from so many rapid cultural changes like we're experiencing. Consequently, we as Christians can feel like we don't know how to operate anymore. What do we do? What do we say? What can we say? What can we not say? We're frustrated or even confused, torn between what we hear in culture and what we see around us and what we hear in church, and we feel caught between two extremes. We don't want to alienate anyone. We know they need Jesus just as much as, as we do, but we also don't want to compromise our convictions and biblical beliefs. When culture shifts, and culture always has been shifting, and always will, one of the things that we can do that can be so problematic is, is we tend towards the extremes. In part because 
it seems easier and it requires less of us to just decide I'm against everything or to decide I'm for everything, that it's just easier to do that because we know the answer. If we're against everything, the answer to everything is no. And if we're for everything, the answer to everything is yes. We may feel so angry, threatened, and frustrated that we want to withdraw from culture or attacking and condemning people who don't agree with us. Or, or maybe we're trying to live in a culture so much that we're, we're tempted to issue a blanket acceptance that avoids any conflicts. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to become paralyzed by extremes. We, we can be the calm in the midst of our cultural storm. Now, in this series and, and in our time together as we look at the, the book of Daniel, we're not going to be able to unpack everything that Daniel did. We're, we're going to be wrapping this series up next week, actually. And so we'll have done four weeks looking at some highlights of the book of Daniel. But we're not going to be able to talk about everything Daniel did. But just to give you a bit of a, a crash course recap, in Daniel chapter 2, we did not look at that. Or I guess in Daniel chapter 1, we saw, we saw Daniel moving to Babylon and refusing to eat the king's food and taking a stand there, Daniel chapter 2, that we didn't look at, we see Daniel having to stand up before the king and deliver a miraculous interpretation of a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, a dream that no one else could give. In Daniel chapter 3 last week, um, we saw Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and their, how their lives were risked as they tried to stand up in faith for Jesus. And in Daniel chapter 4, we seemingly have a weird detour in the book where it seems like Daniel chapter 4 is actually written by King Nebuchadnezzar, where, where the, the, the tone of the writing changes and, and it seems to be a letter written by the king at the time. And the king has another dream and he sends for Daniel because he knows Daniel can interpret dreams. And this dream that he has, it's a doozy. Daniel enters into the king's court and tells the king essentially comes to King Nebuchadnezzar and says, you've become too arrogant. You've become too prideful. And in order to humble you, God's going to take away your sanity. And you're going to go live in the wilderness, essentially like a wild animal, until God brings you back. Because of the arrogance of your heart, God's going to take away any amount of respect that you might have from anyone. God's not taking your kingdom away, but he is taking away all of your position, all of your power, and essentially going to give you a mental breakdown. And then in Daniel chapter 5, we see that Nebuchadnezzar is no longer king, but his son Belshazzar is, is king. And this can get a little confusing, because if you remember, uh, when Daniel was brought to Babylon, his name was changed to Belteshazzar. Um, and so we're talking about King Belshazzar, and if you're reading, you may read Belteshazzar in there, and that's Daniel. They're not the same, same person, but they're pretty close, in, at least in the name. Um, and this time, it's not a, a, a dream that the king needs interpreted. But there's this miracle that takes place while this new king 
is having a party. And for some reason, it doesn't really give us a reason why, it just tells us that as they're having this party, they get this idea that the king has to go and into the, the storage of the things that, that Babylon had taken out of, of Judah. They had got all of the, the items from the temple back in Judah, the, the temple that David had built, or the temple that Solomon had built that David had prepared for, and they had all these bowls and chalices and cups and all of these things, and, and we read in the, that they have this crazy idea in this party to go get all of those and use them. And so they, they go and they get all the stuff that they'd taken from, from the temple of the Lord and they bring them to this party and they start, you know, using them and they start eating off them and drinking from them. And then there's this moment where scripture says that, like, that, that there are fingers like from a human hand that appear in the room and they begin to write a message on the wall. It's, it's not a dream, but it, it can seem like a dream. There's this miraculous hand that appears, and it begins to write a message on the wall. And no one can figure out what it means. The, the, the king and everybody who's at this party, and we will read, there's like a thousand people there. Nobody can figure out what this means and what's going on until the queen makes a suggestion. She remembers Daniel. I'm going to read to you what she says about Daniel, about this guy Daniel, this, this refugee, this captive from another country. And I want to read to you, and I want you to note how Daniel's talked about here. Verse 11 of Daniel chapter 5 says, There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, has found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding. And also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and to solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what this writing means. And so, so Daniel is brought before, before the king, and the king asks him to figure it out. What does this mean? And he even says, if you can do this, I'll give you a reward. I'll make it worth your while. And he says to, the, says to Daniel, now I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and solve different problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means... I, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now Daniel has a shot to win the heart and the mind and the respect and the honor of this brand new king. This is a new king who apparently didn't know very much about Daniel because he's got to be briefed on who he is. But Daniel has this moment where, again, he can do like he did in Daniel chapter 1 and embrace what the king is offering, but Daniel doesn't play along. Verse 17 says, Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writings for the king and, and tell him what it means. Then Daniel begins to unpack the, what the writing on the wall means. And, and much like what he had to say to, to, to Belshazzar's dad, Nebuchadnezzar, that he's going to live like an animal on the countryside, Daniel has some more good news to deliver to the king. 
Daniel tells the king, the hand has written four words on the wall. Verse 25, this is what the, or this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Now this is actually a really helpful passage for, for a pastor. Because normally when I read that, I don't know what it means. And so then I got to go and I got to look it up and find out what all these words mean. But th this is one of the only times in the, pa in the Bible where the passage actually does that for me. Then the next couple of verses I should say, this word means this, this word means... Because Daniel's got to interpret for the king. The king says, these are what the words mean. The king doesn't know what those words, those words mean. Now, they don't tell me how to say them, but they at least tell me what they mean. Verse 26 says, here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Now, one thing you just need to know, we don't need to get into it, that, that the, the, that's not the literal meaning of this word, that this is, this is Daniel interpreting what God is meaning when he says this. Uh, verse 27, Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So that what God wrote on the wall was, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Not exactly a popular message to bring to this group of people, to deliver to the king in the middle of the party, or if you read at the beginning of Daniel chapter 5, and you can read a little bit about the party, these are a group of people, and they're drinking heavily. There's a thousand people, a thousand high-ranking officials, family members, and aristocrats all there watching this goes down, and Daniel's brought before all of them and says, you need to interpret what this means. And Daniel reads it, and he looks to the king, and he says, here's what God is saying to you. You've been weighed and found wanting. You're not good. God has made a decision about your kingdom and your reign is coming to an end and your kingdom's going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. This, this isn't exactly a, you're doing a great job, man. God just wants you to know, keep it up. In front of all these witnesses, I just want to tell you, God's really happy with you, king. And it's not even, hey, hey, king, you know, God just wants to, to, to just say, hey, there's a couple things you might want to work on. There's a, a couple little things that, that, you know, they're no big deal. It's not a big deal. But there's a couple things you, you, you might want to just know about. Just like with what the queen said about Daniel, or... Um, Sorry, before we get to that. Um, now, there's this crazy moment that takes place where Daniel delivers this incredibly difficult message to the king. And even after refusing all of the things that the king offered, the king still gives them to him. Verse, verse 29 says, Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, just like what the queen had said about Daniel before all of this take, took place, all those things that she said about him, I want you to file this again away, just in the back of your mind for a moment, because we're going we're gonna to come back to that. And what we see is, is as you finish out chapter 5 of Daniel, we see that, that God doesn't wait very long to fulfill the, the fulfillment of the writing on the wall. Verse 30 says, That very night... 
Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. So he had a couple hours left. God delivers this message, and a couple hours later, he's dead. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And so now Daniel is on his third king while he's in captivity. Starts under Nebuchadnezzar, then it moves to Belshazzar, and, and now we're on to Darius. And actually, if you read it, all, if you go back and look in Daniel chapter 1, you can see that Daniel actually remains alive and in Babylon. And spoiler alert for what we're going to talk about next week. Um, that might take some of the drama out of when Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, whether or not he's going to make it. Because I've already told you he's going to make it to the next king. He's, he's going to live all the way through to Cyrus. And if you were here in the fall when, when we talked about the book of Ezra, we know that Cyrus was the king who allowed the exile in Babylon to come to an end. But I just want to highlight one more passage for us today, and then we'll unpack why we're talking about all of these things. And it's just the first few verses of Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius, who's the king now, to appoint 120 satraps to rule over the kingdom at the... Oh, there's a weird copy and paste thing there, sorry. It pleased Daniel to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. That's all that's supposed to be. Uh, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel remains in this position of prominence. The satraps are made accountable to them, so all these rulers are accountable to Daniel so that the king might suffer no loss. Now, let's read again what they have to say about Daniel. Daniel was so, dis or so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that when the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, so Daniel's not one of three, the king is planning to set him up as one of one. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of the government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Last little bit. They, were, they, could not, or they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So the third king in a row has found in this captive, displaced refugee these things of significance to continue to give him a significant role. When we look at Daniel and the dilemmas he faced and the situation he was put in and the things that he needed to do and to say to the most powerful, unaccountable men in the world, we can see what it means to engage our culture without compromising our faith. He faced drastic differences and diversities in, in culture, inside of the culture. He endured the immorality and corruption of a shifting culture. He, and he not only preserved through the slippery morals and rebelliousness of his own people, but Daniel remained steadfast when thrust into one of the most decadent debauchery cultures in all of history, ancient Babylon. What Daniel did, though, is Daniel spoke what God gave him to speak. He spoke the truth in truth. He didn't try and change the message. He didn't try and find a way to say it so that it could be heard in a better way. He, he didn't soften the words of God to the culture. He spoke the truth 
Even the absolute hardest messages, he would come to the king who is unaccountable to anyone and who in a moment can have him killed. And he said to the king, your arrogance is going to have you living like an animal out in the fields. And, and he spoke to another king who he had only seemingly met minutes earlier. Your time as king is over. God is taking your kingdom away from you. These are messages that rightly should get you killed. That, that the kings of those days, they didn't tolerate bad news. They didn't tolerate people coming and telling them things they didn't want to hear. But if we, if we understand that, and we take the truth of everything we just said, that this is who Daniel is, and this is what Daniel did, and we set it to one side, and then let's, let's take a moment and look at the other side. Because I asked you to file a couple of things away in the back of your mind. And let's look at the reputation that Daniel carried for the 70-ish years he was under the kings. King Nebuchadnezzar obviously had a lot of respect for Daniel. The, despite the strong words and despite the results of the strong words of Daniel, the king continued to have respect for him. And we can see that in the fact that the queen of King Belshazzar knew of him. But not just knew about him. It wasn't like, hey, I think I heard something about this guy named Daniel. There was something, but I don't remember. I think your dad mentioned it once. But she unpacks all that she knew about the king. That it wasn't just that Nebuchadnezzar had obviously mentioned him at some point down the road. But he went into detail about who Daniel was. And the value of his words. And the value of listening to him. And the message that he could bring. And the things that he could do even though many of them were seemingly disrespectful and difficult for the king to hear. Daniel's willingness to speak the truth to culture had allowed him to be looked on fondly by the king. Daniel's words to King Belshazzar were even potentially more difficult. It's a king he doesn't know, and yet God is taking your kingdom away from you because you're not a good king. Nice to meet you. That's a hard message to bring. And even while as he brought that message to the king, the king's response was to still give him his gold chain and give him the purple robes that he didn't want and still promote him to third in the entire country. And then as he's killed that night, the next king who comes along, Darius, still sees so much in Daniel that he promotes him and he's planning on promoting him to the very top of the ruler, the number two guy in all of Babylon. Daniel spoke the truth to the culture, to the kings, the shapers and makers of the culture. Dan Daniel wasn't at war with the culture around him. He was helping to shape and form the culture. He was shaping the culture by speaking the truth of God. But it's not just important what Daniel spoke. Because there was obviously had to be a way that he spoke. He spoke the truth, but he spoke the truth, no matter how hard, in grace. He never watered down or changed the message, but he spoke with respect and kindness and love. With humble confidence, Daniel glorified God through his actions and speech. His character and conduct stood out because he was both respectful and resolute. He was respectful 
and resolute. He didn't conform to the demands of the culture and all of the pagan customs of the Babylonians, but he also didn't act self-righteous, judgmental, or defensive either. Christians today face such a similar dilemma. In a world that seemingly is moving further and further away from what we believe, how do we walk closely with God without caving to pressure or alienating those we hope to reach? How do we change culture in the right way without being changed by culture in the wrong way? I think there's two things to, to highlight for you as our time comes to a close this morning. First thing, when culture shifts, we need to respond in God's word. We need to hold fast, hold on, live in, speak in, walk in, meditate on, stand on, and camp in the truth of the word of God. The words of God we cannot compromise on. The gospel of Jesus Christ we cannot compromise on. God's call and God's word will not change and we cannot be guilty of trying to change it. And this is tough because you you may want to say amen to that. You may even have thought, amen, that's true. We need to, that's, that's exactly right. Preach it, pastor, that's what we need to hear. Here's the problem, though, and this is, this is why I'm going to say this is potentially hard for us. Because studies show that less than 10% of confessing Christians read their Bible regularly. So if there's 50 of us or so in this room right now, it means there's about five. Now, I'm not going to ask to see hands. Because you'll either be really honest, or you'll put your hand, and you, or or you'll put your hand up and be like, I, I, I when I raise my hand, I mean I'm going to start tonight. I promise. And so, but so if we contend that that we are standing on the word of God, and the truth is this, and this is what God said, and what God's word said is right, but we claim to be standing on the word of God, and that this is what the word of God says, but we're not in the word of God. Friends, we've missed it. How are we going to know the culture of the kingdom of God if we don't spend time inside of God's word? And here's the challenge I would give you. Here's the challenge I would give me. You cannot honestly claim to stand for God and the word of God and the culture of his kingdom and not be in the word of God regularly. You cannot do that. I cannot say, I am living out the culture of God. I am being formed and shaped by God. I just don't read his word. We cannot do that. It's tempting to do it. A lot of us do do it, but we cannot do that. The culture of God's kingdom is found in his word. And even if you used to read it, and you think, well, I don't really need to read it anymore because I read it a lot when I was younger and I know lots of passages and I can think about To have lived inside of a culture does not mean that we're still being shaped by that culture. For us to live in the kingdom of God, we need to live in the word of God. 
But when culture shifts and culture changes, and we need to speak up, speak out, or when we need to respond, we need to do it in the right way. The next, next point and the last point for us is when culture shifts, we need to respond in the right way. You know what the church has done far too often? Responded the wrong way. We, we fumbled and dropped so many conversations culturally because while we may have had the truth, we couldn't communicate the truth in a way that could be heard. That we may have had the right answer. That the world may be posing a question about something, but if we can't communicate it right in a way that can be heard, we've missed, we've missed it. We've fumbled. We've dropped the ball. We've messed up the conversation. We may be responding in truth, but we're not responding in love, then we're completely out of bounds. See, one of the, one of the, the verses that, that people oftentimes, is, as they look to respond to culture and truth and it gets people mad at them, one of the things that they'll point to is, Jesus said, blessed are, those, or blessed are you when you're persecuted. And, and I'm just speaking the truth for God and I'm being persecuted because of it. And, and there's truth to that. God's going to bless anybody who's persecuted because they've spoke for him. But you don't get blessed or rewarded for being rude or obnoxious. If you live out self-righteousness and then you get persecuted, you're not a martyr. You're a jerk. And people aren't responding to you because you're representing Jesus and the world hates you because you represent Jesus. The world hates you because you're a jerk. And we're not supposed to live like that. We're supposed to live like Jesus. When we speak God's word, we're called to do it with a gentleness and respect, just like Jesus. But we also have to be careful not to go the other, too far the other direction either. To, to respond with only love and no truth is also to respond the wrong way. Just let people live. It's easier to just dole out love and avoid difficult and awkward and hard conversations and avoid the truth than to have to confront something. In the name of love, we can set aside the Bible and think that we can love people more than God does. In the name of love, we can take the Bible, set it aside, thinking I can love better than God does. In the name of love, we can put his book to the side and we think that, that maybe this book, this Bible, and some of the things found inside there, it's just not quite loving enough. But I, I know how to love the right way. And so I'm going to set the Bible aside for now because to love like God isn't just to love like God said. I think I got a better handle on how to do this. That somehow the Bible, or the truth of the Bible, isn't loving someone if it's confrontational. Church, we cannot move God's truth. But truth that cannot be heard isn't worth anything. Daniel spoke difficult words into people's lives. Jesus spoke difficult words into people's lives. But they need to be able to be heard. 
In the life of Daniel, we see someone willing to speak the truth, someone who wasn't willing to compromise, someone who did not change in the face of culture and who did not try and soften the truth of God. But year after year, king after king, hard word after hard word, Daniel was heard. Time and again, message after message, word after word. Not just because he was only ever called to give a message that was palatable, but because of the truth he spoke, and the truth he spoke was spoken in a way that allowed the culture to hear it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that as we, we turn to your word, God, I thank you that, that your word will give us everything that we need for life and godliness. That everything we need is contained in the word of God. That we have a, a gift in the words of our heavenly father written to us. And God, I pray that as we, we live inside of culture, God, may we just not have deference for the word of God. May, may we just not somehow have, have an affinity for the word of God. May, may we not just somehow know that the word of God is, is that book that I make sure and try and remember to bring to church once a week. Or thank God I got it on my phone. But God, I pray that you would give us a deep, abiding, passion, love, and joy for your word. And God, I pray that, that, that we would have find that in our lives, that we would find that to be true of ourselves, that we would find that in us, because God, that's the only way we're going to be able to stand in culture. It's the only way that we're going to be able to stand up. It's the only way that as, as the shifting cultures change around us, we need to have our feet firmly planted on the solid rock of your word. And so God, I pray for each one of us that we would find a love for your word in our lives. God, for, for the whatever percentage of us that it is that spend time in the word of God already. And God, I choose to believe that there's more than five here today. But God, I pray blessing and a continued love for the word. And God, for the rest of us who may not spend the time in the word of God that we should be, God, I pray that you would develop in us that hunger. Develop in us a passion for the discipline of reading your word, that we would be able to be shaped and molded by kingdom culture and the kingdom culture that's found inside of your word. And then God, I pray that as we live and operate inside the wor world around us, as we are founded and stood on the word of God, God, that you would help us to communicate your word to a, a culture that needs it so desperately. And God, that we would be shaped by the word of God and it would allow us to, to speak truth, to speak truth in love and to affect change in our circles and our corners of the world. God, help us to effectively change the world around us because we're shaped by kingdom culture. God, help us to, to as Daniel did, have to speak hard words and yet be respected and loved by those who we've spoken them to. 
God, I thank you that we can look to your word and see examples of, of how we're to live these things out. And God, I pray that for each one of us that there would be the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how we can do this better. And God, the, that we, in, in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we'd find the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that wouldn't leave us shamed or condemned, but that would leave us hopeful for the change that can be made in our lives and in our world. God, we love you and we're so grateful for your presence at work in our lives. We're so grateful that you change us and that you move us, that you mold us and that you shape us. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a people founded on you, who live in your word, that can shape the world around us through that. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Does life hit you so hard that you've been knocked down? Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu, or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know his purpose and know his power in their lives and we pray this message ministered to you at hillside church we're a family not by blood but a family that's been bought by blood as family we go we both know what it's like to be hurt we both know what it's like to feel pain but i think it's safe to say we're on to When you should have been loved Has there ever been a time when you stayed but you should have run? Cause I've been real, I've been fake Been a sinner, been the same I've been right, I've been so, so wrong Yeah, I've made my mistakes Now I don't know what it's like to be Can you, can you?